invite any of the children who are in the sanctuary to come join me up here. And if you're worshiping online, just move a little bit closer to your screens. Yay, thanks for coming, CJ. Come on up. Don't you love all of this wonderful bread and grapes that remind us that all the different kinds of breads across the world that people eat. And we do this for World Communion Sunday. So have a seat. Come on up. So when I was about your age, I did not know how to tie my shoes. Do any of you know how to tie your shoes? Yeah, some of you do. Well, I learned when my older sister taught me how to tie my shoes. It wasn't easy, but I learned. But before I learned how to tie my shoe, I had to go downstairs and ask one of my older sisters or my older brother or my mom or my dad, can you please tie my shoe? Because I don't know how to tie my shoe. And they always did. We are talking about how much God loves us. And Jesus is saying in this story that we've just heard that we are supposed to be a little bit more like children to remember how much God loves us. And that means that we need God. Just like I needed my parents or my older siblings to help me tie my shoe, I need God every day to help me be kind and to say kind things to other people, to help me share and be generous, to help me do the right thing. And that's one reason we pray every day, asking God to help us be the people God wants us to be. We really need God. So next time you're tying your shoe, if you know how to tie your shoe, or next time you ask someone to tie your shoe, remember, always go to God in prayer and ask God to help you. Let's pray together. Dear God, sometimes we forget how much we need help. Whether we're little children or grown-ups, we need you. Help us to turn to you every single day and ask your help to be loving and kind and to be the people you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all so much for listening and thank you who are joining us online. If you're three to five years old, you can go with Pastor Maggie by the door over there for Children's Church. And if not, you can return to your parents. Are you three? Okay, well, you can go with Pastor Maggie. You see she's standing right close to your dad right there. Thank you for listening. I forgot to mention in my announcements that this stole was a gift to me from the children of this congregation when I first came in June of 2017. And so, some of these handprints are probably a little bit bigger now, I imagine, but I always enjoy wearing this, and World Communion Sunday seemed like a good Sunday to do it, especially when Jesus is talking about children in our text this morning. As we listen to this story that Ed read for us, I can't help but feel a little sorry for Jesus' disciples. The Twelve. The way that they are portrayed in all four of the Gospels, but especially in Mark's Gospel, they don't come across in a very good light. They are always missing the point. They fail to understand what Jesus means in so many of his teachings. 
They're consistently getting it wrong, saying the wrong things, doing the wrong things. We're going to be spending most of the fall in chapters 9 through 14 of Mark's gospel. And already in chapter 9 and the beginning of chapter 10, we see the disciples stumble and get it wrong again and again. At the beginning of chapter 9, they go up with Jesus. a few of them go up with Jesus to the mountain of transfiguration and Elijah and Moses are there conversing with Jesus and it's this holy moment and Peter tries to build three tents so they can all stay up there and doesn't get the point. When they come down the mountain, the other disciples have been trying and failing to cast out an evil spirit from a young boy. And the other disciples try and they try and they can't do it. So finally, Jesus heals the young man. And when the disciples ask them why they couldn't do it, Jesus says, this type of spirit can only be cast out through prayer. Which says to me that maybe those disciples didn't spend time praying to God. Sorry, I'm going to get my little fuzzy thing. There we go. The disciples apparently didn't spend time in prayer, asking God to empower them before they tried this healing miracle? In the text that we heard last week, which Sarah McCain explored with us, we hear the disciples right after they have failed to heal this young boy, arguing amongst themselves about which one's the greatest. (laughs) And getting mad because there's someone else over there, a stranger who's casting out demons in Jesus' name, and they they wanna shut him down constantly worried about who's the best and who's in and who's out and where's the power. Not getting it again and again. And here we are in this passage that we've just heard this morning and they're doing it again. Jesus is teaching, preaching, and healing. He's surrounded by crowds of people. It's the nature of his ministry in the middle of Mark's gospel, just constantly surrounded by people coming to seek him. And we hear that there are people bringing children to Jesus. Obviously, they see something in the heart of Jesus, in the presence of Jesus, that makes them know that he would welcome even the most vulnerable in society. And so they start to bring their children to Jesus and in step the disciples. I picture them with like black t-shirts and white staff. You know, they're bouncers for Jesus. Protecting the talent. Nope, 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 can't get too close. Jesus doesn't need to be dealing with this sort of thing. We'll, we'll decide who gets access to Jesus and who doesn't. And maybe they think they're doing Jesus a favor. Maybe they see the throngs of people and all of the demands and they see how tired he can get and they're maybe just trying to protect him. Or maybe they're a little embarrassed by the neediness and dependence of of children and the sick and all of those who are thronging after Jesus. Who knows their motives, but Jesus is not happy. He is, in fact, indignant. It's the word that Mark uses. He's angry. Did he not just tell these disciples a few verses before, if anyone puts a stumbling block between these little ones and me, It would be better for them to have a millstone put around their neck and they'd be thrown into the sea. And here the disciples are being stumbling blocks, preventing access between the little ones and Jesus. And Jesus goes on to tell them 
It is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. The key to the kingdom of God is with these little ones. Can you hear the the radical power of what Jesus is saying? In a world that, that values power and status, in a world that's all about strength and self-sufficiency, Jesus is saying the key to an abundant life with God is the little ones. Vulnerability, dependence, weakness, powerlessness. How do we hear these words of Jesus? I invite you in your own prayer and in your own life to ponder this and to listen for what Jesus might be saying to you. But one of the things that I hear in this invitation from Jesus is is to the inner work of welcoming my own vulnerability, of being open to my own powerlessness and weakness. Some of you know that last weekend we were at Furman University for Parents Weekend. Our son Tate will be 20 later this month. And as we visited with him, I could see this emerging adult starting to show himself. Just a little, not a lot, but a little. And I remembered that as parents, part of our job is to to give our children the resources and the abilities so that one day they don't have to be dependent on us, that they'll be independent and self-sufficient. And that's how we mature and grow. And there's much about that that's true and good and right. But in the spiritual life, there's a lot of that we have to unlearn. When it comes to our relationship with God, we are not self-sufficient. We are not independent. I ran into that wall this week. I hit a point this week where I was feeling my inadequacy. I was feeling there was so much I hadn't done right. There was just so many different ways that I have failed. I can't do this. I'm not up to this. And then I read this passage again and realized I'm just like those disciples who tried to cast out the evil spirit from that boy without praying first. They hadn't gone to the source of healing and hope to do their ministry. And how many times do I find myself just trying to do it on my own without continually going to God and admitting, I can't do this without your love, without your power, without your grace and your help. It is a daily struggle and a daily practice to remember how much I need God. So there's inward work that we're called to do to welcome and embrace our own neediness and our own dependence on God for everything. And then there's the outward work. How do we, as a body of Christ, one of many across the world, how do we welcome the vulnerable? How do we provide a loving and safe space for the weak and the powerless and the needy and the broken? In this moment in the life of our world, I can't help but think about our children and how vulnerable they are right now because 
if they're 11 years old or younger, they don't have access to the vaccine that all of us have access to. And so they're dependent on us to protect them, to do what we can to keep them safe. And I'm so deeply grateful to be part of a congregation that is willing to put our masks back on and do what we need to do. I have not heard a single complaint from someone in this congregation. If one concrete thing I can do is to wear a mask to protect one of our children, sign me up. I know it's no fun. My upper lip sweats and my nose runs and my glasses steam up, but that's nothing compared to protecting the vulnerable among us. How do we protect the vulnerable? How do we welcome the weakness, the, the neediness, the powerlessness of others? How can we be a community where it's okay to be honest about our brokenness? And how can we be intentional about seeking those who need to know that God loves them? One more story. A couple of weekends ago, I got to go to the Pride Festival where we had several tables from United Methodist Churches in Nashville. It was a beautiful thing to see all of our, these churches together sharing a witness of God's unconditional love for all people. What a privilege to serve communion to people, some of whom hadn't received communion in a long time. I learned later that after I left, my friend Paul Perdue, who's the senior pastor over at Belmont University, was approached by someone. Now, if you know Paul, he's got a full head of silver hair and a big smile and a warm presence. And someone came up to him and said, can I have a dad hug? I haven't been hugged by my father in five years. And so Paul embraced them and they wept together. The ability to offer the love of God to someone who is hurting and vulnerable and does not feel welcome in their own family. I'm grateful to be part of a congregation that is intentional in our embrace of all people and is doing everything we can to get that word out in the world. How is God calling you? How is God continuing to call us to open our arms to the dependency within ourselves and to the needs of others? Because the truth is we're all hungry and in need of the bread of life. As we come to this table this morning and we break our version of the bread and cup, we know that people all over the world are breaking bread and sharing in the same cup, that all of us are needy. And here we find the bread of life, a grace that is sufficient for all of us. May you be filled, and may we go forth to offer this bread to the world. Amen.